0: You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association.
1: Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association. Alongside members of the MND community, we bring you stories, information and expertise direct to your ears. Remember to subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. I'm Chris and I'm Director of External Affairs with the MND Association.
0: And I'm Suzanne and I work in the communications team. And I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Mike Sumner. Mike is 36 and lives in Grimsby. And if you're a fan of the television show, First Dates, you may be familiar with him. Mike appeared on series 17 of the show. A few months after Mike filmed his first date's appearance, he was diagnosed with MND. So he's here to share more about his quest for love before and after his MND diagnosis. Welcome along today, Mike.
2: Thank you. Pleased to be
1: here. Um, Mike, uh, some of the listeners probably know a little bit about you already if they've they've watched the show, but um, maybe for the benefit of anybody who hasn't seen the episode of First Dates, can you tell us a bit more perhaps about your life and um, perhaps relationships before you went on First Dates? And I guess the intriguing question is, what what made you apply?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, basically... At the time I applied, I'd been single for oh, seven years. Um, and I'd had some relationships in the past, sort of, you know, only sort of three. And, uh, you know, by my age, that's not like a high number these days. And um, I just got to that stage where it had been so many years that I'd been single that I had kind of almost switched off that part of my brain and just kind of, you know, accepted that that would be the way going forward for the foreseeable. And then um, I've always watched First Dates as a show. And I noticed in the credits one uh, episode, they started recruiting for people to go on it. And that would have been towards the end of 2019. So, you know, I just got my laptop out and just found a few photos to put in my uh, application and, you know, filled in some amusing anecdotes and thought, well, you know, I've had a go and press submit and thought nothing else of it. And, you know, I genuinely didn't think for one minute I would actually get on the show.
1: Yeah, I mean, and how did they let you know? I presume they just uh, emailed you or did someone give you a call or?
2: Well, it, it was weird because um, one of the things about me is I'm also diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. So dates and events and things actually stick in my mind quite vividly, which can be annoying to some people, but I find it helpful. <laughs> um, so it was about three days after my birthday in January 2020. Uh, I just got a phone call out of the blue. I remember the, the plumber had just been serviced the boiler, but, you know, it was irrelevant. But, uh, I answered the phone and uh, somebody obviously sort of said straight away, Oh, my name's so and so from First Dates. And immediately you're scrabbling around thinking, I can't understand the significance of that. And then I realized I'd obviously sent an application about two months earlier and realized that, you know, they couldn't possibly know as much as they knew if it wasn't genuine. So, yeah, I just talked to them for about an hour in the end. And they sort of went through all manner of questions about likes and dislikes and to build a picture up of me. And, uh, you know, they said if they're interested in me, they'd arrange a screen test by Zoom, which they did. And it just at every stage it could have fizzled out if they hadn't have wanted me on the show. But at every stage I seemed to either be making somebody laugh, I suppose, or or being entertaining somehow. And yeah, I mean, it was only early February when I was down in London filming the first part of the show. So only a month after I got the initial phone call. So it's quite a a fast turnaround, really. Yeah, amazing. What were
0: your expectations, Mike? Did you expect to, did you genuinely expect to find love on the show or was it a bit of a, oh, it's something to do?
2: Um, no, it was the latter. I didn't expect to find love on the show at all because, I mean, I'm, I'm nothing if not a realist and I realised that, having I mean, watched the show from the start, the percentage of people who, you know, go on to have successful relationships versus the ones that either don't get on or just become friends or whatever, you know, so... I expected that, and this is what I said to the researcher that they asked me what my motive was for going on. And I said, purely because, you know, you only live once, and I'd like to just have the experience of uh, seeing a TV show from kind of like behind the curtain, if you like. And so that was always my motivation to do it. And uh, anything else would have just been sort of additional, really.
1: I'm really intrigued, actually, because I mean, first dates can be a difficult enough experience. I, I know that from my own experience, you know, And uh, but how, how did you find that? You know, I mean, you've got a camera on you as well. Do you notice the camera around you and while you're having the conversation or how does that work for you?
2: Initially, yeah, initially. I mean, when I walked in, it was a bit of a weird experience to start with because obviously I'm walking towards Fred from the show, Fred Syriax. And, uh, he already knew my name, which you know. You, I think they used that bit on the show where he sort of, you know, asked me, "Oh, are you Mike?" And you sort of think somebody on the telly that I'm used to watching is now talking to me directly, and it's it's a bit weird to start with. And and at that moment, you do seem to see all the cameras that they have around, and you know somebody from the production told me how many there were in there, and I can't remember the figure now, but it's several dozen. And uh, you, you notice it for a bit, and then once they sit you down at the bar, uh, you, you eventually it fades. You get so distracted by the fact that it just looks like a normal restaurant that you almost sort of sort of forget in a weird way. And, uh, you know, I started talking to Merlin and didn't think about it. And then it was probably halfway through the date when um, my date went to the toilet. And uh, I just sat there and realized after about 30 seconds, I was staring straight down the camera and uh, I hadn't even <laughs> thought about it. And then I realized and thought, oh, yeah, I better not do that. They won't be able to use it. So. Uh, quickly looked away and tried to style it out.
0: So your first date was with um, a woman called Zoe. Uh,
2: when she walked in, how how was that for you? What were your first impressions? I mean, my first impression, it's, it's difficult to say because like I'd sort of said to Merlin, the thing that gets me is like a personality thing, you know, where you just click with somebody and it's much more of a deep connection than a kind of physical thing. And so when she sort of walked in, I thought, All right, you know, I wonder if we can have some fun and have a laugh. And that was my initial thing. I I tend not, if I can help it, I try not to sort of form, you know, an opinion based on the first few seconds because a lot of the time it's wrong. I mean, I I did um, a supercar driving experience the other week, and I'm, I'm sure if anybody's seen me walk towards the cars with a walking stick, their initial impression would have been this man shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a car. But then, you know, it turns out I was one of the quickest ones driving around there. So, you know, I, I try and think about that sort of thing and, and not allow, you know, initial sort of preconceptions to sort of, you know, pollute the thinking. But but now I just thought as long as we can have a laugh and have a good time and, you know, share some stories, then uh, then it'll be good.
0: And she was very, um, she did that very uh, uh, brilliant piece of television where she downed a pint in one, didn't she, on your day? How- <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. That was such a great moment, and your reaction was superb. Was that just an off the cuff thing that happened?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, th- the whole thing is really it's um, they obviously they film it over about two hours, and then obviously decide to edit down what they want for the content. But it is it all completely you know impromptu because none of us are actors, and I think if anybody gave me a script, that would become absolutely apparent. But uh, the thing they didn't show though is she did sort of introduce it a little bit. That uh, you know, they sort of—they made it out to look like she just kind of sat down and, and downed it immediately. But in actual fact, what happened was she said to me, "Would you like to see a party trick?" And I thought she was going to get like a handkerchief and fold it to look like a chicken or something like that. But uh, so I obviously said yes, please. And I didn't realize that the next thing, then I'm looking at the bottom of her glass getting emptier and emptier, and thinking, "Wow, when she gets to the bottom of that, I've got to say something really profound, or it's going to fall flat." So I was sort of watching the thing go down like a sand timer and, and trying to think, what can I say when she puts this down on the table? And that's why you got the reaction you got because, you know, I, I couldn't think of anything else that would convey how kind of <laughs> unexpected and impressive that was.
1: <laughs> I have to say, your comic timing was excellent. I- <laughs> <laughs> it it's certainly, certainly got a laugh out of me. It was it was great stuff. Absolutely. I mean, you, you seem to have a really good time. It did seem to be very relaxed and you seem to to, to make a connection. And um, yeah. how how, you know, how has that gone for you in terms of, you know, uh, developing that relationship, you know, yeah. uh, beyond the beyond the program? How's has that worked out?
2: Well, when we went to film the bit afters where you sit, you know, side by side and say, would you like to see each other again? That was obviously completely un- unrehearsed. Neither of us knew what the other person was going to say. Mm. And I think there was a moment on there as well where she says that for her first ever date, it couldn't have gone any better. And there's a little smile just creeped across my face because that sort of, you know, I-, I was quite touched by that, to be honest. So um, we knew at that stage we we'd, we'd got on well enough that we'd stay in touch. And, uh, you know, we exchanged phone numbers in the corridor after we'd filmed that. So, you know, we sort of started texting and that was always the intention, to stay in touch. But uh, obviously none of us knew what in March 2020 was going to happen. No. Only about three weeks after we filmed it, that you know, the world sort of stopped spinning effectively. So it then took on a new importance and we sort of kept each other's spirits up through lockdowns and, you know, sort of had phone chats with each other and played little games on the texts and, you know, sort of came up with little playlists and things just to sort of, Keep each other sane, and I think in a lot of ways that sort of brought us closer together. Though ironically, we're you know miles apart with her being in Sheffield, and uh, I think you know she sort of helped me through it in a lot of ways, and I, I like to think that I sort of you know helped to do the same for her.
0: And during that time, Mike, you um you were obviously you were diagnosed with MND, and and I think that you had your first kind of symptom that you noticed when you were actually on your way to your first date, didn't you? Can you just tell us a bit yeah. about that?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's given it the show a weird complexion that because obviously to anybody else it's just an episode, but I'll always know that not long before, about an hour before we filmed me walking towards the restaurant doors, I'd noticed a strange feeling in my left leg. It wasn't anything pronounced, it wasn't visible, it wasn't like a limp or anything, but I just knew I didn't feel like I had the the sort of precision, if you like, and the control that I had had say a day before. And I just thought, well, maybe I've strained it. I don't know. I'll worry about it when I'm not filming a, you know, show for national television, as you do. I had a lot on. Um, so yeah, it was walking down Deansgate in Manchester. And I could take you to the exact spot now, where I just noticed something was up, and I stopped for a second, and you know, I thought, mm, I don't know about this, but I carried on, and I was very aware as I walked towards the entrance of the restaurant that I could feel it, and so I tried to walk as nonchalantly as I could to hide it. Uh, and looking at the footage now, it's very weird for me because obviously I know what I was going through at that moment and nobody else does. And it's, it'll always be a bit difficult to watch because, you know, knowing that that obviously didn't just go away overnight, it then led to something much more serious. And that was the day like kind of zero, if you like, where, where the whole thing began. And obviously it's progressed uh, from there.
0: So that was obviously sort of almost at the beginning of, of lockdown. So just what what kind of happened next? At what, what point did you did you go to the doctor and, and kind of what happened from there?
2: Um, I left it for a, a month or two because obviously the, the NHS was sort of screaming and in chaos and all that kind of thing. And I didn't think that just a little limp was, you know, kind of worth, you know, fighting the crowds of COVID and all that kind of thing. So and we're obviously being told to stay at home anyway, so I was like, "Well, that's fine. I'll just stay at home. I won't walk more than I have to. I'll get a bit of exercise, but I'll I'll take it easy." And it was probably around May time, so probably about two months later or something like that, that I did go to the GP and they looked at it and diagnosed me with like a dropped foot, and said that yeah, you when know, I would mean, explained MD was a concern of mine because my grandmother died of it in the early 1990s, and even though I was only six or seven, I can still remember what it did and what it was like. So I was no stranger to what it could be, you know. And I uh, mentioned that to the GP, and she said she couldn't rule it out, but it could be other things as well. So, you know, I didn't really have my concerns kind of dealt with it, if you like. I still had that going on. And then it took a few more weeks and a couple of MRI scans, and I was eventually referred to Royal Hallamshire Hospital in Sheffield. And I went there, and from there, it was fairly... Risk process. They're all really great, and yeah, they uh, they diagnosed me on the eleventh of November last year, so Armistice uh, Day.
1: And and how has the M and D progressed since then, Mike? Has uh, you know what what impact has it had on you so far?
2: I mean, since then, I like to think of myself as being quite fortunate because I saw how my grandma deteriorated. I mean, that might have been you know because of her age, and and obviously affects everybody differently, but. I remember a speech went quite early, like very early on, and then immobility. And, you know, a lot of things fell like, you know, like dominoes quite in quick succession. Whereas since I was diagnosed, what are we now, almost a year ago, it's really just the balance and the walking. You know, I've just become progressively more unsteady on my feet. And, you know, whereas once I could walk a short distance and it just, I limped a bit. I then had to get a stick, and the stick then became slightly you know worrying as well because i could still fall over with that so then i've sort of i use like a, a walker with wheels on it now for any longer distances so in that respect that's the deterioration but you know i've not noticed any change in my sort of swallowing or my eating or my speech or anything like that so if it only ends up being the mobility for the you know foreseeable future then you know in a weird sort of way i think i'm quite fortunate because you know there are people out there who are so much worse off and if i can keep Doing what I'm doing and, and getting by like this, then that's probably not the worst thing ever.
0: When you when you were um, diagnosed, Mike, obviously you and you and Zoe were friends. So you know, how did you kind of go about telling Zoe and, and the other people around you? How how was that?
2: Um, well, I mean, stupidly, I mean, it sounds naive now, but I went to the hospital on the day not thinking I was going to get a diagnosis. I thought they'll give you because I'd had some tests done a few days before. And I thought I was just going to get the results and it be like an ongoing diagnostic process, but um, I went on my own all the way to Sheffield in a taxi, which in hindsight was foolish. I, I should, yeah, I didn't think of it. So I was hit with that, and then I just remember sitting in the back of the taxi on the way back, just with my phone, you know, messaging people, and uh, yeah, my phone just basically lit up. I was sort of sending these messages to close friends and you know family and that, and. Uh, Yeah, they're they're all sort of so shocked, and I basically spent the whole hour and twenty-minute, you know, taxi journey not really able to put my phone down because I had people asking questions. You know, are you okay? What does this mean? Can I do anything? That kind of thing. And it was a bit of a, a blizzard that I hadn't really like thought of in advance. And then obviously there's the fact that I've still got to get my own head around it, let alone everybody else. So I don't think I truly came to terms with it probably till the end of the year. You know, another month or so later. But I, I made a particular effort to ring Zoe the following day. I mean, I'd, I'd messaged a lot of people on WhatsApp and things like that. But, yeah, because we'd become so close, I'd sort of thought, well, the absolute least I can do for her is tell her in person so she can try and digest it and ask me questions. Or it's not the sort of thing I felt I could do on a phone screen. And
0: what was her reaction?
2: She's quite a pragmatic person. Yeah, she doesn't let emotions get the better of her. And I could. She and she didn't again. Yeah, she gave quite you know a sort of stoic answer, but I could tell in her voice that she was sort of slightly shaken by what I just told her. And I mean, you know, it's understandable. But yeah, she she did say something unrepeatable, which I won't I won't say yes. on here. But uh, <laughs> it, it was similar to my reaction to a Dan in the Pine. Put it that way.
1: <laughs> and
2: because
1: at this point we were still. um and we weren't in full lockdown at that point i i don't think it's so difficult to remember now as it's been such a roller coaster the last 18 months isn't it um but have have you managed to see much of zoe i mean obviously you've kept in contact with her but have you managed to see much of her uh, you know over the last year or so
2: i have now yeah i mean from the first lockdown for the following 15 months we didn't see each other so until june this year because obviously you know there were tears and there was this lockdown that lockdown and you know, you were banished from this and that. And it was so restrictive. It just, it wouldn't work. So I was really grateful for modern technology allowing us to be on the phone and, you know, WhatsApp and messages and pictures and things like that. So that kept us a bit sane. But then from June, once things opened up, you know, initially enough to go and do things, we uh, we didn't waste any time. <laughs> so she came over to uh, Grimsby for a day out and uh, I showed around my hometown and, you know, things like that. And then I was over in Sheffield, and you know, went for dinner, and just trying to basically cram in what we could have done over six months. We, there was a period in June, July, where I think we were meeting up like every weekend or every other weekend, pretty much doing something different. So it was, uh, it became quite you know, full on, considering we haven't seen each other for such a long time. It was uh, it was then like kind of from the famine to the feast, you know.
0: (laughs) So was that on a friendship basis, Mike, or was there something that was kind of growing from, you know, feelings
2: are growing from there? It was on a friendship basis in June when she came to Grimsby for a day trip. But then we went to a comedy night at the start of July in Manchester that I'd got as a, you know, like an online experience thing and it was for two and I invited her because obviously we were close we were getting on well and it seemed like she had the same sense of humor as me so I invited her along and to this day I still don't know what did it but there was something about that weekend I don't know why but something just hit me that you know I started to see her in a different way and I started to notice all the little sort of qualities that she had that I maybe hadn't before and you know it, it just started to really affect me emotionally spending time with her and I realised that basically I was in trouble because you know it, it was apparent to me that you know, I, was, I was falling quite hard and obviously I was concerned that she might not be interested or, or whatever and and so that yeah that worried me at the back of my mind but but yeah from the start of July it was apparent that was what was happening from my side.
0: So uh, do you mind just asking uh, how, how that uh, kind of revealed itself in the end? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, it just got stronger and stronger. And I, I you know, I went up to Yorkshire to visit her aunt and uncle and her grandma because I know it sounds weird in hindsight for just people who are friends. But ge- genuinely, they just wanted to meet me because they'd obviously heard about me on the telly show and that kind of thing. So I went to meet them. We had a really nice weekend together. It was fun. And that just made it build even more because it felt so right and it, you know everything felt so sort of fitting and everything. Uh, and then I was round at her flat on September 11th, and uh, I just, you know, came out with it and explained everything to her, and uh, thinking that basically even getting rebuffed would be better than having to just constantly drive round with a head full of feelings that I couldn't sort of, you know, do anything with. And uh, yeah, to my surprise, she told me that she felt the same way for some time. That's
0: oh, that's, that's really nice. So. Yeah,
2: <laughs> what a relief as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I did say that too. It was an enormous relief. But I was genuinely thinking I was just going to, you know, put my feelings out there and be shot down, and I have been in the past. So you know, I was sort of expected it. I thought it's how it would go. But I was just absolutely staggered when she sort of said to me, "Well, you know, I've been thinking that we should probably have a relationship as well because all the things I was saying to her, she said it kind of felt the same to her."
0: And did the did the MND kind of come into that conversation? Because obviously she'd been with you on the journey as it were so you know that it's there you can't ignore it you know how did that kind of manifest itself within that conversation?
2: Um, Well she said that's part of the reason why she hadn't said anything sooner because I mean it turns out now having spoken about it with her more in depth that I thought I was hiding it at the comedy night in Manchester but apparently she noticed something had changed me that weekend and realized that I'd you know got something else going on that I was trying to deal with and obviously knew that was a possibility Mm. um and she said that the reason it took from sort of July then to sort of September before she'd admit it to me was because she was weighing up the whole pros and cons and working it out and figuring out whether she could handle it basically I suppose and whether it was probably worth it I don't know but uh you know i like to think it's a credit to the sort of chemistry that we've got and the way that we get on that obviously we are where we are because you know if, if there was any doubt in her mind i'm sure she wouldn't have uh, have revealed what she was feeling to me
1: and you're still in different parts of the country now Are you sort of meeting up as often as you can and and yeah. Is that
2: yeah 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 no we are at the moment i'm still there just outside grimsby and she's still in sheffield however I mean, I'm I'm going across tomorrow, and I'm going across for about a week. So I I sort of stay, you know, at her flat uh, for you know several days at a time. Now it's uh, it became like a one day thing, and then it became like two days and three days, and you know, it's uh, ultimately it just kind of keeps stretching because you keep thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to go home yet. So you know, um, so there's that. I'm going across to tomorrow, but we have started looking at uh, flats and you know property in Sheffield so that we can move in together, and that's. That's become a bit of a trial because it's it's harder than you might imagine. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we're doing what we can because we've both realised that we just, as cliched as it is, we want to spend as much time together as possible. So being in Waltham, outside Grimsby, doesn't seem like the solutions. And I can't ask her to move because she's got uh, brothers and sisters and, you know, a job in Sheffield. So the obvious thing is that I up sticks and, and move to Sheffield, which I'm more than happy to do for...
1: Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. I was going to um, ask you, because I, I talking about the impact of M&D. Now, I know that you were you were I think you had done an advanced driving test and you were uh, going through the process of becoming a driving instructor. And, yeah. and I, I'm guessing that's changed now. Um, yeah. And I just wondered how, you know, uh, obviously that is an ambition and how that that's impacted on you.
2: Yeah, no, I I put that on ice once I was diagnosed because I realised that as much as I'm still able to drive perfectly fine at the moment, and, you know, I hope that continues for the foreseeable, I couldn't, like, rationalise it in my mind that I could uh, teach other people to drive when, you know, in my own self, I knew that I would be sort of, you know, heading downhill at some point. So, and not only that, there's the realisation that, you know, time is taking on a new significance and it's more precious to me now. So, do I want to sit in a car for two hours teaching a 17-year-old to reverse back? Not really. So, I'd, I'd much rather be, in, you know, a nice restaurant with Zoe having a nice time. So, I mean, just the weekend just gone, we we're away in Lincoln. And we had, you know, we had a great time. It was fabulous. And I'd much rather be doing weekends away and trips like that. A few weeks before that, we're in the Cotswolds. As I like to say, I'm basically cramming about ten years into about two. Mm-hmm. Is how it feels. But I've just had to kind of reassess my goals now. I don't really have any work-related goals now because of the situation. It it wouldn't be safe for me to work anywhere because I could I can fall over at any moment. You know, mm-hmm. for I, I don't even have to trip over. I can just my balance can just switch off and I can go. And uh, so I've really just made it about doing things like this and you know trying to just where I get the opportunity trying to do any good that I can, you know, I'm involved in several sort of clinical trials with the hospital. I'm doing a, a drug trial and, you know, anything that I can do where I can maybe make something positive out of it, mm. then that's the sort of, you know, the angle I've sort of taken of it now. Mm.
1: That's really interesting, actually, that you've been able to um, compartmentalise, managed to say it, um, Your uh, what, what you were going to do as a career, but actually mm. you've, now, since your diagnosis, you've switched your emphasis onto other things of making, uh, giving yourself a, a fuller life as possible. I guess is the is is the way to do that. And 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 as you say, you're contributing back into society, but you're you're also you know fulfilling that relationship with Zoe. That's it's really interesting. I think
2: it's one of those things where I think if somebody asked me a couple of years ago, could I do that or how would I do that, I wouldn't have had a clue. But I think it once you're in a situation, there's a certain I mean, I say this to people all the time in medical profession when I sort of meet, you know, doctors who I see quite a lot of, as you can imagine, that a lot of the way I am, I think, is down to stubbornness. I've never liked the idea of being beaten by something and I've never liked the idea of giving in ever. So ultimately it comes down to that. It's a case of do I roll over and just accept a kind of, you know, sort of substandard way of life, if you like, and just give in? Or do I keep fighting it and fighting it until it becomes obvious I can't do something. And uh, that's the way I've chosen to go, which is why, you know, I'm still driving around. I'm still walking about. I just have to do it in a different way. But uh, ultimately, I don't feel as though I've sacrificed any quality of life so far. Mm. And that's that seems like a way for me to kind of balance it because obviously there are some dark days and it is difficult sometimes. But I think, you know, in no small part, Zoe has got me through some really difficult stuff. I mean, whether she knows it or not, she has. And uh, yeah, that that does bring a lot of light to the darkness. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. It's great that Zoe's managed to support you through mm. that process. Actually, that you made that connection and, and, and been able to do that. Do, do you? Uh, how are you finding? You know that that wider support network that you you've got. If you, you, do you find you get the support you need from that that wider network as well?
2: Oh yeah, I mean I've been blown away right from you know when I was diagnosed sort of family friends, you know, people have all sort of been really great, you know, there's people where I wouldn't have expected to hear from them and I've heard from them and you know when I'm out with friends now I, they're all aware that there's this extra risk that I could fall over and they're all on it immediately, you know and and the sort of the NHS people I've met have all been sort of fabulous and it's been really really humbling to be you know treated so well and uh I mean, for example, a couple of weekends ago, I went to see Back to the Future the musical at the Adelphi in London, mm. uh, which you know I meant to see eighteen months earlier, but you know something happened. Uh, I don't know if you know. Um, <laughs> so I went to see that, and genuinely, I was terrified about the idea of going to the theatre because it was an old theatre. I knew it would be really steep steps and yeah. all that kind of. And the staff there couldn't have been nicer. They were absolutely superb. You know, they carried my walking frame up for me and they were helping me and holding on to me and. They kept popping up at half time to check if I was OK. And yeah, you know, they, they genuinely couldn't have been nicer. And it sort of opened a, a door in a way that I didn't realise how accommodating and you know and lovely people could be until I was in this situation. And now some of the everyday kindness that I encounter is just absolutely, you know truly humbling.
0: Do mm. you get people uh, looking at you and saying, were you the guy on first dates? Have you been recognised from that?
2: Yeah, it's it's only happened a couple of times, and weirdly, it was on the same like trip. Basically, a weekend or so ago, Zoe was uh, staying here, and uh, we went to Brick Garden Centre. We're just walking around, and there was a guy just moved out of my way so I could get my walking frame passed. and he sort of moved, but then kept staring at me, and he sort of looked at me and said, "I've seen you on TV the other day, haven't I?" And obviously, I knew what it was about, and so sort he of, stopped and yeah, spoke to him. And he, it was really lovely, very polite, very interested, and. Uh, it was only a second or so, I think, after he started talking to me, he realised Zoe was behind me. So he, he kind of got, you know, both of us at the same time. And uh, so I talked to him and then, went, you know, went our separate ways. And it would only just come around the corner about another 10 yards. And this other guy got his phone out of his pocket and started looking at me and smiling and then said pretty much the same thing. You know, said, I've seen you on telly the other day. And we had the same sort of conversation. And then he said... Um, oh, you know, my wife's a big fan. Can I take a selfie so I'm sure when I get home? Because she won't believe it, who I've met. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't, I'm not Tom Cruise. You know, it's not that <laughs> impressive. I'm just some guy from Grimsby that happened to get on the telly. It's not uh, it's not like a film star. But, uh, <laughs> but no, so obviously, you know, I did selfies. Zoe leaned in, so he got a selfie of both of us. So hopefully that, uh, you know, amused his wife. But uh, that was it. That's the only two occasions it's happened. I've been... In and out of mcdonald's i've been to like you know the weather spoons occasionally and literally nobody cares
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you so you said um you mentioned when you um watched yourself on television you were kind of it was it was a bit double edged because it was the day that you you had your first symptoms. So, uh, how was it for you and Zoe? Sort of perhaps watching that together. You know when it went out because obviously it went out kind of eighteen months after it was filmed, didn't it? So it was quite a long uh, long time.
2: It, yeah, that that was weird because it was it was a weird thing that I think we both said to her. It was like probably fate because um with the show normally being on a Monday night, uh, me and Zoe are never together on a Monday night at the moment. I mean, obviously if we live together, we'll be but. At the moment, I tend to go from like a Wednesday to the weekend or a Friday to a Sunday or, or whatever. So we'd always assume we'd watch it separately, which would have been a shame. But then uh, a chance message from an old work colleague uh, when I was sitting in Zoe's flat on a Thursday evening, the, the week before it came out, said that my episode was on the awful catch-up player right now. And neither of us had any idea. So because of that, you know, random message, we were then able to get onto it while I was sitting in her flat. And we watched it, you know, both sitting there together, and exactly how really it should have always been, you know, where the two people who were concerned, who were there at the start, could see the end result. And uh, yeah, she wasn't too impressed about how it looked like she was uh, like a lush. You know, she didn't like how, uh, how quick she was doing that pint without the uh, introduction of being a party trick. Um, but uh, yeah, I obviously found the walking towards the restaurant door a little bit weird because it gave me an odd feeling because I knew how it had felt at the time. And now to see it 18 months later, I've seen none of the footage before then. It was a bit odd, but I was pleased with the way we, we came across. And, you know, once it actually aired properly on the Monday, we've both been inundated by sort of lovely comments from friends and family and people who've seen it. You know, they, they thought our chemistry was great and that we got along well. and. Yeah, I've not had one sort of negative thing and I know she hasn't either so I, I can't ever say I'm not glad I did it because obviously it, it gave me Zoe so mm. you know, I'll always be grateful that I pressed submit that day on my laptop and didn't And <laughs>
0: um, You have MND, um, obviously it does affect you, it's affecting you physically, um, how does that, how's that sort of affected your relationship and
2: the intimacy of your relationship with Zoe? Um, I mean we've had conversations about it before we sort of got into anything like that to sort of, you know, understand each other. And uh, as I've already said, I'm I'm quite stubborn, so I was never of the opinion that anything should be avoided just on principle. And so we've now, you know, sort of worked through that, and uh, we found a way, basically, is the best answer because you know the, there's more than one way to go about something. And you know, we've we've had some sort of fun, you know, trying things out. We sort of go right, that doesn't work, or this does work, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously not probably as strong or as able or as, you know, agile as I would have been, say, five years ago. But at the same time, I'm still here. So my attitude is, you know, there's no point just crying about it and, you know, being sort of miserable for the things I can't do. I prefer to sort of rejoice the things I can do, which there's still, you know, plenty of. So I, I genuinely am sort of really thankful for the way our relationship has turned out because, you know, we get on so naturally. We've got such a natural understanding of each other. The chemistry is great. You know, we we have all these sort of smutty jokes with each other that are sort of brilliant. Yeah, I'll tell you something. I said to her on on the day when I sort of explained my feelings to her on the 11th of September, is that I said to her really that I've never met anybody who's more perfect for me than her, and that that is still the case now.
0: That's absolutely lovely, Mike. And what a perfect way to end, I think. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight to speak to you. And uh, many congratulations from all of us to you and to Zoe. And uh, long may you continue to have lots of fun and enjoy each other's company. And uh, thank you so much for coming.
1: Yeah, thank you, Mike. And thank you for talking to us. And and, and, yeah, really best wishes for the future for you and Zoe. It sounds like you've got a really fantastic relationship there. um, Thank you. It's so nice having watched the program to know that our relationship's blossomed makes it even better, actually.
2: So thank you so much for that. Nobody was more surprised by it than I was I can assure you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at MNDassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 6262 or email Connect at mndassociation.org.